Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Today we're joined again by my sister Luana Gund, uh, where she has just recently been diagnosed with a general anxiety disorder. Uh, I think that's what it is. She might correct it later because I don't know for sure if I got it wrong. Uh, got it wrong, but uh, it's G A D. Um, yeah. Luana is a psychology major she's in her final year of psychology uh major with emphasis in clinical work at usc um and uh you might remember she was the first uh guest on this podcast back in episode four we talked a lot about her perspective um you know just her angle as a sister like about my autism um, and today we're going to be talking about her anxiety, um, and, uh, so I have a few questions prepared, um, that I'm going to ask her. Uh, first of all, welcome back, Luana. It's nice to have you back for the 79th episode now. Hi, it's really, really good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so... So, yeah, I have a few questions for you today. Um, my first question is, how soon in your life did you realize or did you suspect maybe that you had anxiety and how did it affect you early on? Well, first, I think it all depends on framework and, like, dialogue, and that especially varies by culture. We grew up in Brazil, um, and, you know, I didn't, as a child, I was always anxious, I would say. I've always struggled with anxiety, but I didn't have, like, a, a context or a framework to fit that in. So, for me, that was just being normal, you know? I wasn't being anxious. Yeah. Because um, I didn't have, you know, the vocabulary or the knowledge to put my experience into words. But, you know, growing up in Brazil, an adjective that was used to describe me ever since I can remember was ansiosa, which means anxious. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to sit so ansiosa. Like, you're so anxious. I remember, um, yeah. And to me, I'm just like, I don't really know what that means, but sure. Like, I, you know, I, I attributed it to, um, you know, culturally, we were also very um, into astrology. And I was like, oh, I'm a Gemini. I'm all over the place. I'm very communicative. That's what anxiety is to me. That makes sense. So it wasn't until I was around, like, 14 and I moved to the United States and you know we started I started entering these spaces that talk that had dialogues about mental health and anxiety and depression like I knew those words especially depression but like I wasn't really engaged with those words so it wasn't until I moved to high school I think and then I like started therapy mainly because of my change um from the from Brazil to the U.S. Yeah. I think mom always saw that I struggled with really severe anxiety because she herself also, um, yeah. you know, most in the family have at least some level of anxiety. So she put me in therapy and I think that's when I started kind of realizing it. But I would say that it's always affected my life. It's always, it's, it's not, it hasn't, when I was little, it didn't get to a point that it was too debilitating, but it definitely affected um, my interactions with people and interactions with things um like you know deadlines or tests like i've always had some anxiety so i would say that 
Yeah, that's it's interesting that you mentioned uh, like getting stressed with tests and stuff because that's exactly like um, related to the next question I was going to ask you, which is how did it affect you in school? Um, I think it affected me more than I realized. I I'm I was never a super academically driven person. Um, which is funny because here I am finishing my last semester of college, but I never really particularly enjoyed studying, and I think that's partly due to my anxiety of not being able to really sit still um, mm. and kind of getting really easily bored, not bored, but like just having issues directing my attention to one thing um, and, you know, seeing things through. I think I would get anxious about the results, like, or just, like, the fact that I didn't know the material or I would be too anxious to even study the material or just, you know, I, um, I think it affected me that way in middle school around then, but when I was in high school, I think it started to permeate a lot of different aspects of my life, um, but it actually, it's a double-edged sword because anxiety is there for a reason. We all struggle with anxiety. It's kind of, like, some people have, you know, anxiety is there as a way to um, kind of, not warn you, but it's like if you get anxious about something, sometimes that anxiety kind of propels you to, like, get it done. Like, if you didn't care, if you didn't have anxiety about, you know, submitting something at the due date, um, you maybe wouldn't be motivated to submit it or something. You know, if you didn't get anxious about, like, getting an F, then it wouldn't propel you to do certain things. So there's, like, healthy amounts of it. Um, And I think um, that's, like, in high school, how it affected me is that I would leave things for the last minute, but I wanted to do well. I just didn't really have really good study habits, so I would leave things for the last minute. And I remember I would just get so stressed and so anxious um, that it was, like, very, it was very unpleasant, and I didn't actually, like, absorb the work that I was studying. I didn't learn much because I was just so anxious to get it done. Um, so I think that's a way that it affected me. But also, I remember now, while I was in high school, my advisor um, talked to me, um, and I think this was a big moment for me um, when I was, I was, like, caught in my anxiety, and I got called out because I can't remember particularly what we were talking about, but I was doing something that's called, like, catastrophic thinking. So it's Mm. kind of like, oh, because I didn't study for this test that hasn't even happened yet, I know I'm going to fail, which means I'm a terrible student, I'm Uh, never going to go anywhere in life. You know, that kind of, like, chain of anxiety thoughts. And he, like, he named that for me. He was like, you're so, you're catastrophizing your thinking. Um, and I was like, oh my god, I guess I do do that, and that's not really normal, it's affecting mm. me. So I would say that that's how it affected me in school. It was helped me to get certain things done, but because of how disorganized my anxiety was, it ended up being really like stressful. I see, yeah. Um, I mean, I can certainly... Oh, sorry. Can I just say another thing? Yeah, sure. Um, and now particularly in college... You know, it's not like my anxiety is done. It's actually like at an all-time high. But I actually get really anxious before I speak in 
cons. I have a big challenge and difficulty um, sharing my thoughts and like entering open discussions. And I remember that this has gotten worse and worse. And the problem with anxiety is like, if you act on it, um, it kind of grows. Like, because I have not spoken in class for a majority of my period in college, now it's gone to a point where like, whenever I like think about speaking, saying something, my symptoms have become physical. So like, my palms will get sweaty, my mm. heartbeat goes up, um, like my breathing gets kind of out of whack, all because I'm like too anxious to share my thought because I'm scared it's going to sound stupid or I'm scared of like the looks I'm like, going to get from my peers. It's all mental. It's all in here. Um, yeah. But it definitely, definitely affects me. So, so that's that's how it's affecting me in, in my schoolwork. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I certainly remember... Um like when you were in high school, the anxiety that you were having. And I think, you know, of course, like legitimately um, it was, of course, because you you have always been an anxious person. But I think what's also interesting to notice um, or something that I noted and um, is like once you were in your sophomore year, I think, at, in high school, um, is that you started getting all this pressure from everyone around you asking what your plans for college were. Um, and I remember that was something that was making you really anxious too. Like these societal expectations, like there's a certain age and it starts at, from what I've observed with, with people, it starts pretty early. Is it like usually in their sophomore years from what I've observed, observed, uh, when they're some like in their sophomore year of, of, of high school, which is like 15 years old, um, and it was for you, um, where where all this pressure starts, you know, where people are, and I, I guess they don't even realize like how they could be making the student anxious. But um, I mean, I see this happening. I definitely saw it happening with you. And it was probably exacerbated because you are already anxious and by nature, as you were saying. Um, but I noticed this and I've been noticing it. And it's like these kids get get put through so much pressure when they're just 15 to like know what they want to do for the rest of their lives and exactly where they're going to go to school, exactly what they're going to do. And it's like you don't yeah. most people don't even figure that out until later anyways. Um, and it's yeah. like I think that's what's really damaging, too. And that's what's uh what can exacerbate the problem um, is all this like pressure that that gets put on on the kids when they're like literally like already like going through puberty um, yeah and dealing with other stuff um, yeah yeah I agree I think there's a lot of societal um, norms that have bred anxiety like another thing is that why I started talking about it and contextualizing it in high school is because, like, it seemed like everyone around me was riddled with anxiety, you know? I think that's oh, yeah. a phenomenon, like, recently, too. Like, I think, I don't know if the statistic is correct, but, like, one out of ten people, I'm sure, I probably know nine out of ten people have struggled with or currently struggle with anxiety, you know? Just yeah. Because of external pressures, for sure. Internal pressures, which is a huge one. Um, 
genetic factors. Like, there's a lot of things that contribute to it. But I definitely think that if you're a person who lives in this world, you have anxiety. Also, because the world is collapsing. <laughs> so that, you know, is bound to make us anxious. The pandemic, climate change, you know, war, all of these things that seemingly are very far away from us are actually really not. And they definitely affect us. And it's definitely something that breeds anxiety in people. So I think that now more than ever we're seeing this. And we also see this correlation with like the overprescribing oops overprescription of like anti anxiety drugs. Um, yeah. Which is something I can talk about a little later. Yeah. Um I'd love to talk a little bit more about that as well. Um yeah, if you if you want we could just talk a little bit about that now and then I'll I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> yeah, well something that really, really struck with me is like well, so I always had anxiety, um, and then, especially when I moved to high school and I started engaging in therapy, like, I realized that that was, like, a mental health disorder, um, and that was something that, like, really affected me in my daily life, and this was not something that was completely normal, and that was not something that I should, it's something that I should strive to manage, um, if not try to completely eradicate, and, you know, the ways that you can do that vary from, you know, meditating and, like, prescribing to, like, a religion to taking medication, whatever. So I have always been um, just personally not very interested in taking medication just because of my perspective. Um, And that is true, you know, it's about managing it, but it's kind of like subsiding the symptoms. It's putting like a muffler on the symptoms kind of, but it's not really addressing the cause of your anxiety. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's necessary Mm -hmm. for you to be able to like, kind of stabilize in order for you to look at things that might reveal the cause. Yeah. I've always kind of just been put off by it. However, um, something that really started, like, affecting me in high school and what also kind of propelled me into wanting to move into healthcare and mental health and holistic health was I had, like, two separate occasions with two really, really close, dear friends of mine who were struggling with Xanax abuse Mm. was prescribed due to their anxiety, but I saw it destroy them. I saw them become like zombies. I saw them become apathetic. I saw them become like numb and addicted to this substance, sure, benzodiazepines. Um, And it's really, really dangerous. And I remember like I had a very personal experience where, um, you know, one of my friends, had been prescribed this to manage her anxiety and it actually propelled her into a deep depression um, and she has, you know, she was having suicidal ideation and I remember coming to school and she was just, you know, like kind of foaming out the mouth uh, and I knew there was a problem Uh, and that's when actually I started uh, having a pretty big um, like rage against the pharmaceutical industry and how we're actually addressing mental health, um, especially anxiety. So, um, yeah, I don't say this to be against medication because I do know that it's helped a lot of people. I know friends who have benefited from it. I don't think it's something that should be long-term, but again, that's just my own perspective and my own experience with anxiety. However, I have been prescribed several times, um, when I've been to psychiatrists, um, I've been prescribed a couple of different medications, and 
day. I have not been needed to use them, so that's great. But um, not, you know, advocating against them, but that has been my own experience. I think we need to find um, better ways to first not breed so much anxiety um, in people with, you know, these external pressures. And it's totally hit it on the nail. For me, it was, I think, exacerbated when I was, 15 and I had just well it was first exacerbated when I moved to a completely different country you would never be able to tell by my voice but I didn't learn how to speak English till I was 10 I was like fully Brazilian until I was 14 you know I had Brazilian friends I went to a Brazilian school my family was Brazilian I spoke Portuguese that's what I was comfortable with and then I completely shifted and in order to like it bred so much anxiety because I didn't only have to, it wasn't only about existing in this environment. It was about surviving. You know, I had to make friends. I had to learn new language. I had to like literally learn school in a different language. And you know, the U S we use, they use like, um, is it the metric system? What's it called? The one that they use. Imperial they system use. here, which yeah, is the like, imperial system, like, it's all messed up. It's, all it's so all messed up. It's the only <laughs> place that uses the silly system no, is the U S. Literally, yeah. and I'm just like, I, that made me super anxious. Um, but, you know, a lot of people mask it as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something, an invisible disorder, right? So it's not something that you can look at a person and you'd be able to, like, infer that they exactly. have anxiety. Exactly. with anxiety. And that's, that's why it's also so difficult. Yeah, I mean, that's just very masking and not, not being, like, seen, like, because it is a hidden dis- uh, hidden condition, it's like that just hits the nail for me really hard because that's how I feel with my uh, autism. Is that pe- exact? Because people, it's not just the fact that people can't tell because it's it it's not like a a visible disability. Um, it's also because people have very stigmatized perceptions of what it's supposed to look like and say they have, um, an autistic nephew with, with high support needs and on speaking. And then they think that all autistic people are supposed to, you know, present that way. And they don't recognize that it's, that's like, it's different traits to different intensities. And it's also not like a a scale it's really like a more of a pizza wheel not something that even myself like I hadn't really realized because of what I was being told because what I was told by people and by society even after I got my diagnosis was a very neurotypical lens uh neurotypically biased way of viewing it um and and then I started you know in the last year as you know um, digging into this whole neurodiversity world and everything. Um, and then I'm like, oh my God, okay, so it's actually not like a scale. It's like a pizza graph. And then, and it's just been so great, you know, being able to, anyways, I'm, I'm starting to go in the weeds a little bit, but uh, you sent me, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, it's just very relatable when you were talking about masking. Um, and I think that would be relatable for a lot of listeners as well. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit more, if you don't mind, about, uh, like, your experiences with masking and, like, you know, just 
maybe how it became ingrained in you because like at least I know that something which is true for me is that I got so used to masking that I it came to a point that I don't even realize that I'm doing it. Do you think you had maybe a similar kind of experience? Well, I think it's different because I think autism and anxiety, though both neurodivergencies are really different, especially yeah. in terms of the masking. Um, what I meant more is kind of like um, when you're interacting with someone, um, they don't know that I'm having all these anxious thoughts yeah. in my head, right? Um, and I'm trying to portray as if I'm not anxious you know, mm-hmm. about this interaction or whatnot. So um, it's different because I um, I think that it's also something that it... See, it's complicated because even in Brazil, for example, like when it was being used as an adjective, it wasn't even used with like you know, she's like, oh, you're so, you're just such, it was hypnosiosa, you're so anxious. It was like and a personality was, trait. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So, like, the lines get kind of blurred, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's like, okay, is this something that's, like, kind of separate from me, or is this something that's just part of me and it always will be, like, you know. Um, well, I think it's, yeah. It personally, gets, mm-hmm. I don't enjoy my anxiety it's gotten to a point because it's not gotten very well managed that I can be very very debilitating and it's permeated different aspects of my life so now for example when I was younger I didn't really struggle with this and there's a lot of things there's a lot of environmental factors that contribute to your anxiety um like I kind of was saying like the more you don't speak in class the more anxious you're going to be about speaking in class you know it's kind of just like you have to dip your feet in the water to kind of like get over those hurdles but like similarly I've developed a bit of social anxiety because my anxiety had especially in the pandemic you know yeah I remember things just got they got ugly yeah you know with a magnifying lens yeah and um that's been pretty tough to navigate i think even people who maybe previously didn't struggle with so much anxiety now are finding themselves dealing with this i think it's coming out yeah i agree i think the pandemic was a way of forcing it out yeah so i think it's a little in terms of masking it i think it's a little different i don't know how much i can speak to that because um i like I'm pretty comfortable sometimes telling people, um, like, I remember I had, a, like, a, a, a person in my class that I had had a previous class with, but I was kind of just, like, socially anxious to, like, say hi, you know, and, like, you know, reintroduce myself. Yeah. And then we did, and then I kind of said, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, I thought I was just, like, too anxious to say, to say hi, you know, mm-hmm. so, like, that's not something to me, like, it's a little bit something that's a little bit more normalized, especially in, like, at least my circles, because I'm a psychology student at university. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, maybe perhaps there are situations, and they're, like, you know, it's various by culture situations, because there's some cultures that don't accept that as, like, you know, like, you're not anxious, you don't have mental health problems, you're just crazy, you know, you have the crazies, um, or you, like, you know, you're just, like, 
you're making something out of nothing. Uh, so it really depends on like the context and your support systems and, um, you know, like the cultural and, uh, your yeah. immediate, like, uh, circles perspective on mental health. Yeah. Or, or, or awareness. Cause I think a lot yeah, of times, uh, it stems from lack of awareness when you have people that refuse to believe or accept it comes from the fact that you know and this goes not just for anxiety but for all kinds of neurodivergences is like and i still see it a lot like you said because of i think culturally as well there's there are a lot of cultures that are still very inherently ableist um yeah and it's yeah it's hard to to really like that's why it's it's so hard to address it's like because it is so right. systemic and it's not just systemic it's cultural um exactly. yeah so anyways yeah that's uh definitely something i've observed as well um my next question is a little bit about the the diagnosis process uh which I know was more recent. Um, so what was that like? Tell me a little bit, like, what was that like in general? And were you given any resources that you found helpful aside from medication by the person that diagnosed you? Okay, so this is funny. Oh, my cat's screaming. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is actually kind of an interesting process because I was in analysis of therapy for a long time. And, you know, it was kind of like, agreed upon that I had anxiety, but it was kind of like my, well, it was both of our, it was a suggestion by my therapist, but it wasn't something like completely necessary, it was something that he suggested, because I kind of brought it up, you know, it's just like, you know, I feel like this is kind of unmanageable, like, I need, I would like to talk to a psychiatrist, so, first time I talked to a psychiatrist was in high school, but I don't think I got the same diagnosis, so, my experience with it was actually in a stress management class elective here at USC. I we took a test and it was like one of those quizzes and it's like rate from like uh yeah I don't remember if it was yes or no or one to five like the severity of like these symptoms you have. And it was like forty questions, fifty questions, and then you added it up and you got your total points. And then at the end, it was just like, if you got this and above, like, you like, don't struggle with anxiety, this you struggle with normal anxiety, and this you struggle with, like, um, severe anxiety, and then the last one was like, you struggle with really severe anxiety, and you should seek professional counseling. And that's the score that I got. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and it was funny that I remember that so much, because even though it's something that I've always known that I had, I was like, it was kind of nice because it was something that I was just like, I couldn't, I, it was so debilitating, but I didn't know because I personally didn't want to, you know, use medication. I was just like, oh, like, this is something that actually, it was nice to hear. Yeah. Like, you know, um, oh, this isn't just like, this isn't, this is something that you can get help for, mm-hmm. you know, because I think the goal is, in anxiety, um, it's like you, it, the goal is to not have the struggle with so much anxiety. 
So I I got that paper, whatever, I continued in therapy and then I think it was I think it was the pandemic. It was like maybe mid twenty twenty one. I had a lot of stuff happening in my personal life and I was like, Okay, I'm I'm ready to talk to a psychiatrist again because I think maybe at this point in my life I could use help for medication to kind of, you know, chill out a little bit so I can do some other stuff that I need to do. And so I talked to the psychiatrist, and my experience with it was, I think it's a lot to do with your own bias when you come into the psychiatrist's office. Like I said, I had my own doubts about medication, so I kind of carried that into the office with me. But we had a conference. Um, she asked me a, you know, a bunch of questions. We just talked. And, oops, sorry, my cat. Um, and then, you know, at the end, of our meeting, she was close to me. She was like, okay, well, you have something called generalized anxiety disorder. And I, that was the first time that it was actually, like, named for me. Like, you know, where it was always just like, oh, I have anxiety. Like, I, you know, I struggle with anxiety. But it's never something that had, like, it wasn't something that, like, had a name. Yeah, you know? well, you didn't have the validation. There's some sort of, to me, there's kind of a validation. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I was just like, I guess I kind of sighed a breath of relief because I could kind of like name this thing that I had. Yeah. Um, and I was happy that it was like, I mean, it's something that I had, but it's not something that's like necessarily a part of me and it's going to be a part of me forever. But I was like, you know, um, yeah, I was validated. And then I was prescribed um, Prozac for it because a lot of uh, practitioners are not prescribing benzodiazepines anymore due to that highly addictive uh, side effect. Yeah. So I did not opt to take it though mm-hmm. um, because I found other ways that I thought were a little bit more holistic in, in, in dealing it. So acupuncture, yoga, meditation, um, you know, there's things that like worked for me that I found better than, you know, altering like the chemical yeah um, the chemistry of my brain so that was my experience it was very validating for sure um it was really really nice to have that also authority professional specialized figure kind of like help assist me in like wording maybe what was going on and then um you know i could do my own research about it i could read more about it um and so that was that was helpful. Um, that was my experience getting um, diagnosed. I see. Well, that's um, that's that's cool to to like hear that because I think we I actually hadn't like asked you about that before. So um, that was very interesting to to hear about like how that whole process was. So thank you for sharing. Um, my next question is, what have you learned, like, so after the diagnosis mainly, what have you learned about yourself? I guess you might have already kind of answered this, but um, maybe, like, more in depth about, like, recently how, how, how you've been accommodating your needs um, as someone mm-hmm. with, with GAD. Well, that's a tough question, you know, because I think especially, because I think, 
anxiety is like a pretty personalized, um, you know, struggle. I think that it doesn't, like, it's kind of what you were saying about autism in the pizza scale. Like, it's not like one size fits all. Um, I think everybody kind of has their own experience with it. Um, The way that I've been trying to be um, more accommodating is I, you know, like in classroom settings, like, for example, the first most important thing to do is just kind of notice in your life and kind of track, like, what triggers make you really anxious, like, what situations, what friends, like, you know, what types of situations in your life kind of breed more anxious responses that's like the first step because then you can kind of take a look at it from like an outside and kind of see some patterns or either or either like kind of choose for yourself whether you're going to um put yourself in those situations if you can if you have the option um you can kind of like distance yourself a little bit from those triggers um but also you know um there are some people like i said well i guess this is more about me so for me, um, breathing techniques have helped a lot just because, like I said, the anxiety has gotten to a level that it's become pretty physiological. Um, I think we all see it as, like, you know, and this is something that I'm really passionate about because my whole career um, is, like, the mind-body-spirit continuum. is like something that affects one of them is going to affect all of them. So I think we, say, we see these things. We literally say, like, mental disorders or mental disabilities you know like mm-hmm. oh it's all in the mind which is like what even is that you know but it's going to start affecting you in other ways yeah um, so like my anxiety started like you know becoming physical and my my heart palpitates my my palms get sweaty my breathing gets out of whack so um a good way that i've learned how to like stop that in its tracks or kind of just like it's just accepting it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and breathing techniques help a lot. So, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of box breathing, which is kind of like you imagine a box and then you like mm. breathe in for one of the legs of the box and then you breathe out for the next, but like, you know, visualizing exercises and breathing, meditating exercises have helped me a lot. Um, and, you know, it's tough. It's something that I haven't really found the best way yet to um, not be so anxious. So um, that's like a ongoing journey for me. But I think therapy, talk therapy and support systems are really, really crucial. Yep. Um, I Sometimes anxiety will actually like make you self-isolate, which will make you more anxious in turn. That's why it's like it's a two-faced beat kind of thing. Um, so it's really just learning how it personally affects you, like your own relationship with the anxiety, and then that's kind of your starting point on how to like manage it, treat it, or whatever. So yeah. that's, that would be my two cents on it. That makes sense. figured out yet. Yeah. I can relate to some of what you were saying about, like, um, removing yourself from the trigger and stuff. Like, uh, in terms of myself, when I have meltdowns or when I know that I'm in a situation that there's something that has triggered me really intensely or is triggering me, 
and I'm kind of in this rumble, like rumination stage where I can feel the meltdown happening or about to happen. Um, and that's also something that was brought up to me in therapy. And I agree that therapy is something that is very, very important for, I think, a lot of people, not just people with anxiety or whatnot. Um, I think people, it's just, anyway, I, I try to make this point every once in a while on the podcast that there's so much stigma out there uh, against therapy. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I know. I, I agree so much. I mean, this is like, mm. you know, this is this is my field and I completely agree. I think it's really sad. Sorry, I like interrupted you. No, but it's, it's... I'm talking about this because, uh, you know, I was recently kind of writing about my journey as a healer across how it started, wanting to be a biomedical doctor, then transition into, you know, becoming a mental health specialist and then now an acupuncturist. Um, and I think that the way, the, the reason that I, you know, wanted to become all these things is because they have helped me so much, and especially in therapy and why I decided that this is what I was going to study in college is that it is so wild how how effective it is. And it's very, very encouraging that it's become more and more popularized, but very disheartening at how it's still pretty stigmatized, how it's still inaccessible to some folk and unaffordable unaffordable yeah yeah um, that's the main problem with it so, yeah, yeah yeah really i think that we're transitioning into like something that's becoming a little bit more accepted but i think and this is something that i'll have to say i think for older generations as well i think it's a little bit because you know it's all about your cultural context right if you're born during a time where like it was really really stigmatized you kind of grow up with those biases and stigmas and I think that I would encourage anyone who um, is middle-aged or above and who's never tried it before or who's been curious or maybe even hesitating um, to give it a try because it has no um, age limit. I think everybody, every single person can benefit because at the end of the day, it's the therapist is there as a mirror to kind of help you, assist you on getting to know yourself and knowing your patterns, knowing your triggers that you may have not even known were there and really helping you live a better life. So, yes, I'm sorry that was my little rant, but I no. still concur. That was Therapy perfect. Is one of the best inventions of, or discoveries, whatever, of the 20th century. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I agree for sure. Because um, it has been really helpful for me, like things like, you know, catching myself um, when I'm, you know, feeling triggered and then a lot of times, you know, I can use these techniques that I've learned in therapy to remove myself from the situation and then a lot of times I avoid the meltdown. Um, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's not that, always possible. Um, one thing that that reminded me of, yes, I agree, it's not always possible, yeah. you know, life isn't perfect, but it can definitely, it, it, it definitely helps and, um, one thing I was going to say, I don't know if this is a question you're going to ask, but that another, there's various modes of therapy, right? So there isn't only one, there's CBT, there's all these different types. And one thing that has helped me personally with my anxiety is something called DBT. 
to direct to dialect oh, behavioral therapy. My therapist mentioned it to me too. Yeah. Yeah, that is a also more popular therapy. My the person who founded it was actually studied under my psychology professor. Oh so wow! It's a pretty recent, it's a pretty recent um, branch of psychology, and it's a little bit of more action based therapy. Some people get a little bit frustrated at just like the talking and this is something that will give you tools and um act and like action prompts on how to emotional or how to regulate emotions and stuff and i think that is something that everybody should take a look into just because it is a growing popular field of um of therapy and it's something that is highly 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 intertwined with meditation mm. and mindfulness and I think that that's the future. So DBT is something that's definitely helped me. And I know many people who have yeah. are now living their best life because of it. And uh, then secondly, mm-hmm. this is not sponsored. However, if anyone out there is interested in seeking therapy, there is an app called BetterHelp, which is a mental health platform that provides online mental health services directly to consumers. So it's like an online counseling. So if it's something that you're a little bit, if you're hesitant about, or if you don't, um, if you don't even want to go into the office, you just want to do it up from the comfort of your own home. I would super recommend that people check it out. It's called BetterHelp on the Apple Store. Yes, I I would, I would, um, I attest to that because I, yeah, I I also have, um, you know, I've been working with a therapist now. well, I actually have been doing in, in therapy. Have been in therapy for most of my life. I've worked with a few different therapists, um, both in Brazil and here in the U.S. But um, particularly with one specific therapist in the last four or five years, and one thing that's been really great is that um, she's probably the the therapist that I've had with the most understanding of neurodiversity and, um, you know, autism and ADHD. And I think this, this comes a lot from the fact that even though she's not neurodistinct herself, that she has a lot of neurodistinct family. Um, and I could just tell, like, I mean, that was a big game changer, like from the start compared to my previous therapist, because my pre, and it's also about, this is important to mention, it's also about finding the right therapist that's a good fit for you because um, my previous therapist, I actually, I, I think I stuck with her too long. And I think, yeah, you definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. Because she was not helping me. She just wasn't understanding me. And it's like, and I think that's too bad because maybe that's what happens with a lot of people is they have a bad experience with one therapist. And then that yeah. kind of like, the it kind of um stigmatizes therapy for them unfortunately it's discouraging yeah, yeah. No, I, I was gonna mm-hmm. say that it's tough because unfortunately there's a lot of excuse my friend shitty therapists out there this is just true and it's true for a lot of a, a lot of fields you know there's shitty doctors out there it's it's really hard because especially when you're in the health profession you're going to those people at one of your most vulnerable, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're already taking a big step, and then when it's met, 
with someone who's not very understanding or someone who you just genuinely don't connect with or you don't feel that are helping you, it can be really disheartening. It can be discouraging and actually kind of propel yeah. you to not seek that help. But I would second what Gino just said. And, you know, sometimes, and unfortunately, because this sucks, uh, if you match yourself with a therapist and it's not working out, um, you know, I've done, I've had this before and, you know, I've, I've needed to take a break, but then kind of go back into it. I would very much recommend to continue looking and continue working with other therapists and kind of seeing what's the best fit for you because there are fantastic, fantastic therapists out there who are really, really, really focused on helping people heal. Um, so I would, they're out there, but sometimes it's hard to find, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't get discouraged if those experiences happen. It's really, really shitty, but, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because I, I can certainly attest to, like, how helpful it's therapy has been for me. And you were, I guess, one final thing I wanted to talk about is that you were, um, on this topic is that you were talking about, um, DBT and it, that's just so interesting the coincidence because I was also introduced to DBT recently by my therapist because I was having really intense feelings um, about something and there were a lot of times where I was so occasionally I would lash out at people and it wasn't even I wasn't lashing out at these people because of these people themselves. I was lashing out because there was underlying stuff. There were all these feelings that were getting bottled up and I wasn't, I was actually avoiding the feelings because I wasn't feeling them. And lashing out was a way of, she got me to understand that it's actually a way of avoiding the feelings. Um, yeah. and, uh, but then, so then, you know, I was introduced to DBT and it's this whole concept, uh, at least the way it was presented to me, it was about feeling the feelings, um, and riding the wave of feelings and like, and then, and then getting them out and stuff. And then I started, um, what I realized for me, like one specific method that I developed around that one thing I started to do was recording my feelings. Um, I would like be having all these feelings in my head. And so I would just like do audio. I would pull out my phone and like do audio recordings of them. Um, and, uh, and then like I start recording and I'm like just talking about stuff. And then eventually I'm done talking about the feelings cause I've gotten everything out. Um, yeah. And then once that's done, once I've recorded for like five or 10 minutes or whatever, then I'm, I'm not really feeling those intense feelings anymore because I was able to, to channel them out. And then I'm not going to engage in those um, unwanted behaviors. Um, yeah. So, well, usually, I first yeah. command you for, uh, you know, reaching those conclusions in therapy. That's hard. Um, it's tough. But I kind of went through the same thing. That's how I got introduced to DBT. I was also having issues lashing out. Um, and really, it's really focused on emotional regulation. And that's something that we can all benefit from because we're not all perfect. None of us are completely equipped with the tools of like being completely 
in control in quote unquote of our emotions and it's funny because now more and more I've seen DBT and DBT skills being popularized like there is this whole trend on TikTok about cold plunging which is a DBT technique which is mm. when you're really you're having an anxiety attack a panic attack a meltdown whatever it is something that you're so in your body you're so in your feelings that you just really feel like you need to get that shit out um, what do you do is you get a bucket full of water and put a lot of ice in it and you plunge your face in it mm. and you just stick there for, and what that does that, that activates your parasympathetic system and it kind of regulates your system um, wow. and it kind of gets you out of that immediate, you know because you're so in your head you're so in your feelings but you have poof, and then you're plunged with this cold water and it kind of like propels you to kind of just like calm down wow that's very interesting kind of, it's a very good technique, and that's just one of the many examples that DBT gives for people um, struggling with these things. And um, one of the really cool things about DBT is that it's often offered in a group setting as well. So that's really cool because then you can kind of have a community of people that are going through similar or even different things but can benefit from the same mode of therapy. Um, and something also that is kind of what you were talking about Another skill is, for example, kind of, um, and this is easier said than done, but if you're in that moment, if you're having really angry feelings or whatever, like someone cut you off in traffic and you're like, you know, yeah. you feel the urge to follow them and like, you know, yeah. put them off or whatever, just kind of write down, okay, what is the event? What happened? What is your interpretation of the events? You know, and you can be like, mm-hmm. this fucker fucked me, like, cut me off and buddy die and he hates me like and he's you know angry at and he, mm-hmm. he did that on purpose he's attacking me because i think it's like yeah. an instinct too like your brain when you're so distressed already at least for me yeah. i'm like already having a bad day i'm already stressed and then this guy cuts me off in traffic and i think i automatically take it personally i'm like this guy yeah, is exactly. screwing with me yeah Exactly. You think that, yeah, see, and that can be very damaging. So these techniques are techniques to kind of just like, you're exactly, but that's that. It's not dismissing your feelings. You're feeling them. You're writing them. You're talking about them. And that also kind of gives you an avenue to be like, oh, okay, wait. These are my feelings or these are my thoughts. These, this isn't necessarily me right now. This is just what I'm experiencing. And then it also kind of gives you an opportunity to be like, okay, what's actually, what actually happened? Okay, this guy cut me off in traffic. What is the interpretation of the events? Maybe he just needed to get somewhere and he didn't think about me. At, this is, you know, yeah. I, he just it, me, he just wanted to go fat. Like, you know, it's yeah. something that has nothing to do with you. And those are things that we're not taught in school. We're not taught um, really anywhere how to regulate our emotions or how to feel them or how to uh, identify them. So it's extremely extremely helpful and so i would definitely recommend anyone who was interested in what we're talking about to look at dbt because it's fantastic um and it's just yeah it's one of it's really really awesome yeah i agree it's certainly been helpful for me um one so the final question that i wanted to ask you to close us off um what is the main and you you can take a while to think about this if you need, because it, it's uh, I don't know, it's a it's a big one. Um, what is the main thing that you wish people understood more about GAD? Oh 
From your perspective, yeah. validation is really important and that's something I can speak about I can speak for too um, in terms of like because I think that's another thing people don't understand about after an autistic person has a meltdown um, so I'm gonna just and I, I've probably said this many times before in other episodes but you know for those listeners that are just tuning into this one I'll stress it again like that goes for autistic people having meltdowns too. Like when an autistic person is having a meltdown, I know it's hard to like not want to um, tell them that they're wrong or whatever, like particularly if they're engaging in behaviors that may be not the best way to handle things. It, it's actually, people don't realize that it makes it worse if you yeah. punish them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. 100%. yeah. No, punishing is not mm -hmm. the way to go. Punishing is not the way to go. I just, uh, quick little side note, I'm in a class right now that's called learning and memory and how to like learn new behaviors and stuff like that. And punishment is perhaps one of the worst methods of yep. uh, helping people grow and learn and evolve. Um, mm -hmm. It's very, very um, not good. So that's that. And then something else I wanted to just add on to your previous question is like a lot of my friends who struggle with anxiety and including me and all of my loved ones who are listening to this will know what I'm talking about. A lot of us come through very flaky, um, whether it's in our texts, you know, like mm. not responding or whatever. And I just want to encourage people, and I know that it's really hard because I think that too, when the people are not responding or ignoring me or whatever, it's not personal. Yeah. Um, like I said, anxiety permeates every aspect of life, and it's so hard to not overthink and to not act from those anxious feelings. So just if you, you know, yeah. Yeah, I no. Just try to check on someone if they're not responding. 
or whatever instead of you know feeling it personal or kind of judging them or just trying to or being angry um i would just give that some thought because it's really not personal yeah everyone is living in their head so that's that's that it's true yeah um no it's absolutely uh because i have definitely done that like where i get super anxious but when someone isn't responding and i i do take it personally and it has happened where i have lashed out at people and because you know this is one of these case one of the of these occasions where like there was other stuff built up and then sometimes i might even have another grievance with this person or whatnot but yeah it's like it'll come up like i'll i'll just my mind will jump to conclusions and they might not be the correct like conclusion it might not be what happened but it's just like in the moment that's where my mind is going and that's what yeah yeah and that's a perfect way to describe anxiety as well yeah yeah you know so yeah yeah um well this was fantastic um I really enjoyed uh, talking about anxiety with you and I think we were all able to, you know, I was able to learn some new things and hopefully the listeners and hopefully everyone has been able to get a lot out of this. Um, It's certainly been uh, an episode that I've really enjoyed uh, producing and and I, uh, with you and, and I hope that everyone enjoys it as well. So yeah with that said thank you everyone for listening thank you luana for for joining us again um thank you for having me and thank you for giving um an avenue for us to talk about these topics i think it's really important yes of course um and and hopefully we can have more conversations in the future as well it's i mean it's crazy our first episode was episode four and this I know, is here we are at 79. Yeah, so crazy indeed. Um, anyways, um, all everyone, th- thanks again, everyone, for listening, and I'll see you next time.